And that's what my message is going to be uh, about the miraculous birth of Christ. And it really, uh, I, was, I had a few ideas I was praying about, and Lynn, God used Lynn to inspire me. She sent me an email. She says, if you don't have any direction, how about you go? <laughs> I'd like to make a request. I love it when people do that because my response to her was, well, sure, if it has something to do with the Bible, you can preach anywhere in the Bible. Give me a direction and we'll, let's go with it. And if somebody has an idea, man, let's, let's have fun. You can start anywhere. Open the book, start reading and preaching. Um, there's nowhere in there that's not good. And so there's a couple things. She mentioned that, and she was talking about, you know, some of the people and events, and I got to reading the story again and thinking about it. And then at one of our Bible studies with, uh, with Kenny, <clears throat> we do a Bible um, uh, Christmas party with the boys that we do the Bible study with, and he challenged them all to read the Bible story, to read the uh, Christmas story in the Bible, and to come to our Christmas party with something, anything that you've never seen before, just something different. And, and try to find miracles, try to find amazing things that happened, that, that the Bible records associated with the Christmas story. I thought, that, that would be kind of fun. Let's just do it that way. And so I put those things together and started to study and, and look through. And I ended up uh, at this, this verse, Daniel chapter 9. That's where you go when you want to study the Christmas story, right? Daniel chapter 9. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Chapter 9, verse 4. And you're going to see a little bit why I say it's about the miraculous birth of Christ. There's a verse here, and it says this. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. You know that word dreadful there? Another way to put it is awesome. It means, it, it means this overwhelming feeling of reverence and admiration of fear produced by something that's grand and sublime and powerful or something like that. And he's talking about God here. And you could say it this way. Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God, this magnificent, amazing God. And how does that pertain at all to the birth of Christ? This, the birth of Christ was not just some ordinary, everyday baby coming in the world. It was a miraculous event. It was amazing. And if you really start looking at all the little intricacies, all the people involved, the stuff that God did, you could, you could study it for weeks and preach on it for weeks. So I'm going to try to hit just some of the few things to look at this amazing birth of Christ, this amazing event that was orchestrated by an awesome God. When we finish looking at this story today, what I hope in your mind, something you could take home with you, something you walk out of here with is, God, you, you could agree with Daniel and say this, God is amazing. God is awesome. And this birth of his son into the world was nothing short of absolutely miraculous. I think, I think as I was studying that, I was thinking about a song. You ever heard that song, What a Mighty God We Serve? I think it is. What a mighty God we serve. You probably have no idea with my version of it. You know the words, right? It's, it, it's out of Deuteronomy where it's talking about what a great and powerful God we serve. Um, he is amazing. If you start thinking about all these little things he did and how he's orchestrated events over the history of time, you will come to the conclusion 
that this God is amazing. God is miraculous. Go to Galatians chapter 4. And this says something about this. We looked at what the Bible says about God. He's miraculous. He's amazing. He's awesome. And look at the birth of Christ. We know we, we've heard this verse before a lot. <clears throat> but it says this. If you look at the verse, chapter 3, right before of it, it talks about kind of who we were. And it says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. You know, that describes us perfectly before, like he said in the song, we didn't know who Christ was. And when we come to know him, he sets us free from that bondage. And in describing his birth, he says in verse 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That sums up this birth of Christ and what it was all about. This awesome God. And remember, we, we ruined the word awesome, right? We just throw it around like nothing, especially if you were brought up in like the 80s and 90s. It was like, oh. I think it finally went, the, went away a little bit. But man, back then it was everywhere. It was kind of uh, like the way they use the word like now. It was everywhere, and we ruined it. But think about it. An overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, produced by something that's grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like. This awesome God, this amazing God, at the perfect, exact, right time in the history of the world, brought his son into the world. It wasn't a day early, a day late. It didn't just happen. It wasn't just like, oh, today would be a good day. No, from the beginning of time, he knew exactly when this time would be. Has anybody, uh, this is interesting, we just, we're going to do audience participation. Has anybody ever really looked at the history of the world in relation to the birth of Christ? And what was going on around the world and how God picked the perfect time in history? Just, just world history, period. Raise your hand if you've done that. Because... You know, sometimes you hear things and, and you, you've studied it or somebody's taught you and you think, well, everybody knows that. But if you really look into it, I'm going to go through just a few simple things here before we go over to Matthew and Luke and actually look at the birth. And think about this verse. In the fullness of time, at the perfect time in the history of the universe, Christ came into the world. And some of the reasons we can look at we know God's awesome, right? We know God's perfect. We know God's sovereign. So obviously, it was the perfect time. But what are some things we can look at outside of the Bible? What was going on in the world that can make us see, wow, God really knew what he was doing. It helps you uh, expand your uh, amazement of God when you think about this. Okay, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, right? And then there's about this 400-year period where it just, God goes silent. There's nothing. And what's going on during that time? Well, leading up to that time, the Jews were sent away into captivity in Babylon. Then they slowly came back to Jerusalem, but they were still under rule by these, the Persians. I'm trying to make sure I get all these right. If I, I think I got them in, by memory. So you got the Persians lead up, are under control of them. And then they go under the control of the Greeks. 
And you heard Alexander the Great, right? Anybody, any of your kids in school are studying Alexander the Great? So they've got all this rule. These, these Jewish people, this is like 600 years. They're under oppression and rule of other people, outside forces. Control them and tell them what to do. Alexander the Great comes in and he not only rules them, but he institutes this kind of a rule that's, that's a little different in that he allows people to maintain some of their customs and cultures. And he also just starts taking over the eastern part of the known world. He just expands like crazy. And with that, he expands the language. And through this expansion of Alexander the Great and his taking over this part of the new world through the Greek Empire, the Hellenistic Greek Empire, they call it, he expands this common trade, people trading commonly under the, uh, the same empire. Think about the United States. What's one thing that makes us great? We are independent states, but we're all joined together, right? It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. So our commerce can flow freely in our states, and it really boosts our economy, right? Well, under the Greeks, a similar thing was going on. Common language, right? In, in, in the United States, people speak all different kinds of languages within the United States, but we have a common English language that we interact and work with, right? There's a common language. And, and, and so in the Greek, the, this, it was called the Koine Greek. I can't pronounce it. it, was, it was common Greek is what it really means if you translate it. And this common language started to go, out, go throughout all the land. And then there was this revolt. And the Jews experienced right before the time of Jesus this Maccabee family. If you go and study them, they're the Maccabees. You can actually, if you've got a book, a Catholic Bible, the Apocrypha has the Maccabees in it. And there's the book of Josephus that records a lot of these things. It's very common knowledge. These people revolted, and they, they won some independence for the Jewish, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. And for a short period of time, the Jewish people had their independence. And then they fell back under Roman rule eventually. And the Romans took them over. And then Rome expanded what the Greeks had done all the way west. And so you've got almost like as far west as you can over to the ocean, back east almost, well, under Alexander the Great, almost to India. But they had drove them back some by the time the Roman Empire and down into Africa and Egypt. And all this area of the known world is now ruled by one common Roman Empire. And they maintained the common language of Greek in that empire. Within it. For the most part, that became the common language. You have Latin as the spoken language of the Romans, but they still have this common Greek language. What's something else everybody knows about, about Rome is the road system, right? So now you've got this conquering. You've got this common monetary system, this trade routes that are going all over, and then they build these roads. And this road system is unheard of in the ancient world. And they start connecting all these areas of the known world and all these port cities. And they, they have all these ships moving around in the Mediterranean. And it becomes, you know, we think how the Internet has just taken this huge world and shrunk it. Well, Rome kind of did the same thing. It's this big world at the time. And through their road systems, through their commerce, through their, their outposts and the way they organize their governments, shrunk the known world. And so now God sends his son into the world. What is the purpose of his son? To seek and save that which is lost, right? What is now possible? 
not only is his son able to come and offer his life a ransom for many, but having done so, now his people have this ability to just travel all over the place. The Roman armies would send their, their, their soldiers out into these posts and travel around, and they were able to now take on what they had learned as maybe a Christian gets in the Roman army, and they get sent over here and sent over here. And Christianity is able to now just blow up and go everywhere, right? And that is a result of the way the world had changed and come to be at the time of Christ. It was this perfect setup for the Savior to come into the world. Think about it. I mean, God knows he could have done anything, but if he had been born when they were in captivity in Babylon, they really wouldn't have been able to travel far, right? Or, Or... Sometime afterwards, you just never know what would have happened. The Roman Empire starts collapsing and things fall into chaos. Well, it might not have worked back later on. God knew. We can suppose, but because he was born at that time, we know that was a perfect time. But for me, it's really interesting to look at how the world was moving and reacting in relation to what God was doing. We know that God set all that up, didn't we? Alexander the Great really wasn't so great apart from God, was he? God's the one that enabled him to do that. The, the Roman Empire, it expanded and all that stuff. We could say that stuff paved the way for Christ. Well, not really. God instituted all that so that it would be ready for his son to come into the world. And if we just, if we just look at what was going on, we think, wow, what an amazing God we serve. What a miraculous birth. He carried out. Go over to Luke. And we'll go down and we're just going to look at some of the events, some of the things that took place around the birth of Christ that are absolutely, to me, amazing. And we'll start at chapter 1. One of the things that is amazing to me about the birth of Christ is not the birth of Christ, the birth of John the Baptist. Think about this, God's sovereignty. He not only instituted all that, but he sent another baby just ahead of Christ to, as it's prophesied, prepare the way for Christ. And it says this. We'll just read. Uh, we'll read verses 1 to 12. For so much as many have, have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in, order, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. 
And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. You know, we read that and we see things like this all through the Bible. And again, what am I I going to look at? Amazing, miraculous things that happen around the birth of Christ. Okay, here's a big, huge deal if you really think about it. Here's this man who's... It fell on him to be his turn to go into the temple, and he's he's performing the duties of the priest, and you know he's purified. He's in there. You think it's? I try to picture it. It's got to be this very you know it's quiet, lit up inside there, and he's doing his thing. He's burning the incense, and he, and an angel just pops up and starts talking to him. We we take that for granted. That's a Anybody had an angel show up and start talking to you? You're just taking your morning shower, you know, you're, you're eating breakfast, an angel sits down beside you. Anybody? Do you know anybody that that's happened to? That's, an, that's a miraculous thing. An angel of the Lord comes in front of him and talks to him, appears to him and starts talking to him. That's miraculous. When we get to the point where we read something in the Bible about an angel of God appearing and speaking to somebody, and we're just like, oh, that was neat. And it doesn't put us in absolute awe. We've forgotten. We've lost sight of the amazing awesomeness of God. That's what's so fun about Bible study, is you can look at something so simple as a story about a man going into the temple doing his priestly duties, and an angel shows up, and you're just like, wow, that's awesome. If I came in here to you all and I said, I was on my way to church this morning and everybody came in and I unlocked all the doors and I ran into the kitchen because I thought something was going on and an angel showed up and started talking to me. What would you all do? <laughs> but that's what I just basically told you. This priest was in the temple doing his duties and an angel showed up. This is true. And it's amazing to me. And there's a side note here. I was telling the boys when we were talking about this at the Christmas party. Anybody that puts all these books and movies about seeing angels and how wonderful of an experience. It was so wonderful. They just came up and gave me a big hug. You know, those kind of things. They're lying. Go look through the Bible. When an angel appears to people, what do they do? (laughs) Fell down. They trembled. Ah! Fear felt. they're, They're freaked out. Right? When an angel appears, it's a big deal. Zacharias, in verse 20 and 23, as a result of being before the angel, hearing the message and saying, whoa, was left mute. There's a man. There's nothing wrong with him. There's another. It sounds, you're probably like, Brian, this should be like second grade Sunday school class because these are some pretty basic things. But they are basic, but they're miraculous. This man had an encounter with an angel. And in verse 20 and 23, it says, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. The angel told him he's going to have a baby. Zacharias didn't believe. He's like, you're, you're kidding me. This is a, how, how's this going to happen? And what happens? He goes, you can't talk no more. And it, and it happened. Imagine this again. I, I like to imagine when I'm reading these things, imagine Dan shows up to church and he's like, 
You try to talk to him. You say, what happened to you? He goes to the doctor. There's nothing medically wrong with this man. He just can't speak. And he just smiles. We would think, this is amazing, right? And we know the end of the story is the moment his son's born and they name him John, what? The voice returns. That's miraculous. God has control over everything, doesn't he? Even our tongues. If he wants to shut our mouth down, he could shut it like that. God is totally in control. Luke one twenty four. This is miraculous if you understand the point behind it. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked, upon, looked on me, to take away my reproach among men. Why would she say that? Does anybody know? I like to do call, like, interaction. Anybody know? Tell me why, what's so amazing about this birth. Does anybody Come on, somebody's got to know. What's so amazing about the fact that... What, why would she have a reproach among men? Eric? She Yeah, Elizabeth was not only both of them old, it calls them old and stricken with age. I felt like that this morning. Like, I am old and stricken with age. This is not good. That's what they were. They were beyond... When it, they're beyond... Baby having age. <laughs> and they had never had a baby up to that point. It says they were, she was barren. They were old. Now you know why Zacharias is probably laughing. At, I mean, it sounds like Sarah, right? Does it remind you of Abraham and Sarah? It's very similar. The angel comes, says, you're going to have a baby. And it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> Not happening. And he, he goes mute. And the next thing you know, this is such a simple thing. Elizabeth conceived. How many thousands of dollars do people spend to conceive babies that can't have babies today? We try. We have medical science. We, we, we have doctors that are geniuses, would make us feel like complete idiots if we sat down and talked with them. They're so smart. And they figured out the intricacies of fertility and babies, and they can help a woman that is barren to have a baby if they spend a lot of money and a lot of time, and it's still not 100%, right? And yet here, an angel shows up, and God says, hey, guess what, you're going to have a baby. To me, remember what my first verse that I read was? What a powerful and awesome God we serve. He didn't do anything outside of, I'm going to place the baby in you, and you're now going to conceive a baby. That's amazing to me. I'm hoping it is to you. Look at verse Luke verse 1, verse 37. And he's talking about her conceiving in her old age. And it says what? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Flip over to Mark. We'll take a side trip here for a second. Thinking about this fact of a barren, old barren woman conceived a baby with an old man. Like that. And an angel says, but with God there's nothing impossible. Does that remind you of another verse or anything you've ever heard said in the Bible? Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Read, start at verse 26. This is when, when um, 
Jesus is, is uh, talking to the rich young ruler, the rich man, and he can't be, he, said, he goes away and they're like, it's easier for a rich man, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. And, and his disciples in verse 26 says, and they were astonished out of the measure, saying among themselves, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. I like how that's the exact same wording that was used here. Remember, what are we talking about? The birth of Christ? This is the birth of the one that's coming before Christ. And he looks at him and, he, and she conceives in a totally impossible way. And the angel says, for with God, nothing is impossible. I got to believe the angel's saying, hey, listen. Not only are you going to have a baby, but he's going to declare the way and prepare the way for the one that is going to offer salvation to those that thought there was no possible way. Jesus was saying, this, this rich man, it's hard for them to get to heaven. But does that mean there never no, no rich man's going to heaven? Nothing is impossible with God. That's an encouragement for me to read that. He can cause... An old man and woman, they're barren to have a baby. He can get, put life in them. He can bring salvation to anybody. My mom has been texting me for three days now. Absolutely rejects Jesus Christ. They, they don't want anything to do with God, the Bible, Christianity. They think we're foolish. Yet her uncle, or my uncle, her brother, is now in the hospital with a quadruple bypass. And she's been texting me for like three days. Please pray for my brother. Continue to, she'll send me an update. Thank you so much. Please continue to pray. Now she's including my brother in it because he got saved. So we're both getting these texts. Please continue to pray for Uncle, Uncle Fred. You know, and thank you so much for your prayers. You know, I, I look at her and I say, there's no way this woman's going to get saved. She's hard. She's, there's just not going to happen. But I read stuff like this and I'm reminded with God, nothing is impossible. There's nothing. Luke one seventeen. Look at something else that's pretty cool. I said, talking about John going before the Savior. It says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist in Malachi. Flip over there. To chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And it says this. John didn't just happen. God said, you know what? I'm going to bring a Savior, but at the last minute, I need to make sure somebody goes and tells everybody that he's not coming or prepares the way. At least we know from the beginning of time. But in here, we know recorded at least 400 years before John the Baptist is conceived, the prophet Malachi says, chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. 
And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Okay, we, we read that and some people, I've heard people say, well, that's a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus is in that prophecy, but that's a prophecy. That, that prophet Elijah that he's talking about, that is John the Baptist, one who, it's not Elijah reincarnated as John the Baptist. That is one who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. And how do we know that? It's a great thing about the Bible. The Bible can explain it. Go to Matthew chapter 11. And this will help us to know for sure that I'm not lying to you. I could just tell you, John the Baptist, that's the one they're talking about. But let's go and look and see what Jesus says. Chapter 11, verse 9. And this is when John was in prison, and Jesus says this, verse 9. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of woman, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffer of violence, and the violence take it away by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which, which was for to come. There's from the mouth of Jesus himself explaining that that prophecy in Malachi refers directly to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was prophesied of 400 years before he showed up. The fact that he's standing out there at the river preparing the way for the Lord is no accident. That was prophesied by God, orchestrated by God, carried out by God, and it's pretty amazing. So now we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And let's look at John the Baptist. Let's look at the, the birth of Christ and see what we can find there. Some really fun stuff for me anyways. By the way, in that last thing I just read, a little trivia if you want to like have Bible trivia at your house. Who's the greatest prophet ever in the Bible? Who? John the Baptist. It says there's no prophet greater than he. Nice little fun trivia if you want to do Bible trivia. Or you want to act smart. It's like, hey, who's the smartest prophet in the Bible? Or the greatest prophet? If you want to do that. Okay. Chapter 1, verse 26. We'll read 26. We'll just read down to 39. This one's fun. Because of, I thoroughly hate Facebook. But I've succumbed to its call. And I've been a part of it for a while now. And there are some good things. And I saw this funny poster on the other day, and it has to do with this. See if you can figure it out. Some of you may have seen it. Um, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when he saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. That's amazing. 
He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come unto thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah. It starts off with this angel visiting Mary again. The, the, how many people in the, in the history of the world can say, Multiple angels visited people regarding my birth, like physically showed up and, 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 and talked to people regarding my birth. Very few. Maybe Isaac is about the only one, right, that came and said, talk, this is some, this, God is amazing. You read through this, just the verse where it says, and shall call his name Jesus. Man, that's just thinking of where we were if that verse had, had, had never came to be. If he, God, did not become a man, where would we be? The angel came, visited, and explained to her what was about to happen. You're going to deliver. God is going to be put in you, and you're going to deliver the Son of God, and he's going to rise up, and this is the Messiah that you all have been waiting for to come and deliver your people. The poster I saw was this. It had a picture of Batman and Robin, and Batman was smacking Robin, and it says, Mary, did you know? And Batman's going, yeah, she knew. He was making fun of that song, Mary, did you know? Yes. The answer is yes, Mary knew. She knew exactly who she was giving birth to. She knew when she held that little baby. It says, did you know that he was the Savior? Yes. The angel came to Mary and said, you're going to deliver the Son of God. She knew. The answer to that song was she knew yes definitively what was going on isn't that amazing imagine ladies that have delivered babies and conceived having an angel come and saying that baby that's growing inside you will be your deliverer will set you free I can't even begin to picture what must be going through her mind God came and took up residence in the body of a man took on flesh Luke 127 and 34 gives some of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Verse 27 explains to a virgin espoused to a man. And in verse 34 it says, Then hail, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Why is this so amazing? If you're ever sharing the gospel with somebody and you need just some kickstarter, some way to talk to somebody, Ask them if they understand the implications of the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That's a great start. It's simple. People, it's intriguing. Um, people love to talk about stuff like that. 
If you can sit and explain to somebody the, all, somebody the implications, it will lead you down a path to explaining the full gospel because it's so vital to why this birth is so miraculous. It was prophesied of to begin with. Let's go, I, I, you don't need to go there. If you want to, you can write it down. Isaiah 7.14. And it's talking about the, the, the Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will be born of a virgin. It's one of the most critical details of this. Why? Romans 3.23. Anybody do like the Romans road stuff? What is Romans 3.23? Go ahead. Anybody. Somebody. All have what? All have sin. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. This is great. All have sin. Is there any human being ever have lived, been born in this world that is without sin? No. Yeah. God became a man. Any, any person... In the lineage of, of Adam, nobody. We've all sinned. And what is Romans 6.23? What's the penalty for sin? The wages of sin is death, right? Okay. Genesis, you remember Pastor Lindsay used this. He preached a lot. The, the, the Genesis 3.21. Genesis 3.21. What is the solution for the wages of sin is death? We've all sinned. What is the solution for death? How can... How can forgiveness be found in Genesis 3.21? A substitutionary sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, is how sin can be covered, right? So we know these three facts. We've all sinned. Everybody. The wages of sin is death, and the way that forgiveness can be found is through a blood sacrifice, right? The problem we have here is our situation is hopeless. Because, let's just say, I am a really nice guy. Just pretend. And Ted is needing my help. And I look at Ted and I go to him and I say, Ted, we're just going to pretend you're not saved yet, okay? Ted, you're not saved yet. You've not been forgiven, right? When Ted dies, where will Ted go? Anybody? <laughs> we're we're pre make-believe, pretend Ted is not going there. If he, it's, it's kind of hard to think about. You talk about evangelism, walk somebody down this path. Sin, sin brings death. He dies, where's he going? Hell, he's going to suffer the punishment of that sin, correct? Right. <clears throat> I look at God and I say, I'm such a nice guy. I really don't want Ted to go to hell. Punish me. I will take the punishment for Ted. What is God going to tell me? Why not? He is the way, the truth, and the light. But there's something even bigger. If I die for Ted's death, who's going to die for mine? Sorry, Ted. I really like you, man, and I'd love to die for you, but I'm over here busy dying for me, right? God says, you, Brian, you have to be punished. So, wait, what, what about my son? What about Kobe? Little Kobe there. I love Kobe. He's my son, right? I would do anything for him. God, let me, let me take the punishment for my son so he can go and be in heaven. What's God going to say? I love Kobe. I love all my children. I would die for them. But I cannot take their punishment before God for them. They've got to take their own. 
I've got to take mine, they've got to take theirs. So here's, this, here's the, the problem we're stuck in, is every person ever born is sinned and must suffer for their own sins. We can't suffer for one another's. And there we are in the, pl- in the place of history. God, perfectly justice, perfectly just, remember our things here, and perfectly loving, and he wants to reconcile the two. And so how does he do that? He says there's only one solution. I'm perfect, as in God. So I have to now become a man, take on this flesh, and offer this life as a blood sacrifice for those that are destined for hell. Because if I offer my life as God, if, I, if God offers his life, it's now perfect without sin, and he's able to now freely give it. That's why the gospel is so wonderful. That's what, that's what this is all about. And God, the moment we have this virgin birth, it's a big deal because now God can be put into the woman and not carry that sinful trait passed down from Adam. There's, he breaks that lineage of the man and woman. And God took on the form of a human and is born of a woman without carrying forward that sinful seed from Adam. Does that make sense? Is everybody there? So this is a huge deal. The virgin birth is the way that God is able to maintain his perfect justice and, and not, not let, let up on his perfect justice one bit and still offer his complete love, satisfy his love. When he became a man, the word Jesus means Yeshua saves or Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers. So he became a man. They named him Jesus. Yahweh delivers. But, but Isaiah said to name him, what? Not a, not a physical name, but to call him. He'll be known as the Prince of Peace, the Son of Man, the Son of God, right? One of the names is Emmanuel, right? And Matthew, it also says it to be called Emmanuel. Matthew one twenty three, And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. This is, God became a man in Colossians 2.9. Go over there, just so you can see a little bit about Jesus and who he was. And if you get your finger there, you can move to John 1.14. And these are two verses talking about Jesus. It says, Colossians 2.9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead fully. When God took on the form of a man, when Jesus took on flesh, he remained fully God. He was fully God. And in John 1.14, the other part of this, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became flesh. God was, there's this, this is a big fancy word, one of some fun words, the Christian words. It's the, I can't even say it properly. The hypostatic union of Christ. Somebody starts really giving you a bunch of Christian mumbo and they're confusing you. You want to like get them back. They're like, all right, you're so smart. Explain to me the hypostatic union of Christ. And What? All that means is this, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, in flesh. 
And he put him into a virgin, and he was born and lived on this earth. And for me, that, I, I think about that, and I think, how amazing. Think of this. God, the creator, the sustainer, the all, he, was, he was perfect. And he said, I'm going to take on the flesh, and I'm going to live amongst these people, and I'm going to offer myself for them. I think it's pretty amazing. It's miraculous that he would do that for us. Now let's go over some prophecies about Jesus. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to go over just a couple of them, but I want to show you something. When you're looking in the Bible and you want to say, how do people know that these prophecies were truly about this or about that? The Bible will confirm it. If you look in one place, there'll be a confirmation. It'll help explain it and you'll learn that way. So I'm going to show you where the prophecy was, and then I'm going to show you the confirmation or the explanation. Micah, chapter 5, I'll just go there and then flip back. And you can go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 8, if you want to find the confirmation of it. But Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So he's prophesying what? That the, the Savior would come from Bethlehem, be born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 2, that would be John, that's not going to work. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. <coughs> Chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And you go on down to verse 8, and it says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. There's where he was born. There's the, 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 the prophecy there's the confirmation. In Hosea 11.1, 1, this is a neat one for me. It says that what? We'll just go to uh, Matthew 2. You still in Matthew 2? Verse 15. It says that he would come out. He said, I'll bring my son out of Egypt in Hosea. Chapter 11, verse 1. And in Matthew... Chapter 2.15, it says this. And was there unto the death of Herod that it might be spoken of, <clears throat> that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of, the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. You remember that when the, the, the wise men, they went before uh, Herod and they were going to go see Jesus and Herod said, When you find him, bring me word. Right? So we're thinking... What a weird prophecy. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. They're from Nazareth. They're all living around this area. How could this prophecy that Jesus would go to Egypt and be called out from Egypt, that doesn't make any sense if you think of just logical, the way the world works, right? It doesn't make any sense why they would go to Egypt. But yet Herod, this king, was jealous and was fearful, and he sent these guys to go find Jesus so he could go kill him 
right? And the angel revealed to them, hey, Herod is not intending good. He's trying to kill him. And so the angel comes to Mary and Joseph and says, your lives are in danger. Jesus is in danger. Flee. And sends them to Egypt. And so because of that, the, the prophecy in Hosea is now fulfilled that Jesus would not only be born in Bethlehem, but he would come out of Egypt. What about uh, Herod getting angry and doing what he did when he couldn't find Jesus? Does anybody remember what he did? He went and he had all the children under the age of two killed. All these kids, under, all these little kids killed. And it pro- fulfills a prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 15, if you want to write that down. And that's where it's talking about this. I go to Matthew 2, 17, 18. And he, re- he records this here. It says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comfor- comforted because they were not. Herod, thinking he was in control of running the show and all this, was God still, this whole, remember, what are we looking at? The miraculous birth of Christ. God bringing his son in. And, and Herod doing this terrible thing, thinking he, I'm, I'm running the show here. And result, in, in, in reality, God was still in control, wasn't he? God sent Jesus away, protected him. Bad things happened. That's not good, but it's sinful man did those bad actions, right? And God still, years before in the prophet Jeremiah, prophesied of that. What about some, other, the, some of the other miracles? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Remember when those wise men were talking about? How did the wise men find Jesus? A star. A star not only pointed the way, but how did, how did the star get them there? It says they saw a star in the east, and then it says what? The star went before them. It guided them. Anybody been led, led around in the dark by a star lately? We, we need to look at the Bible and think about, not get, not get uh, apathetic about it. It's amazing what God does. He led these wise men around with a star. And then Matthew 2, 12, an angel comes again. And, he, and this is when he warns Mary and Joseph. Another angel appeared. How many angels are we up to so far? Like four Five angels coming and talking to people just around this one birth, I would say it's a big deal. An angel warns Joseph. And then an angel warns Joseph and Mary in chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. When Herod was dead, an angel came again and took Mary and Joseph back to Israel, calling them out of Egypt. And then there's another prophecy fulfilled here. He sends them back to, to Israel but on their way, he says, wait, Herod's son is now ruling. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 21 and 23, And he arose and took the young child and the mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee, where he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. He wasn't called a Nazarene because he took some kind of a Nazarite vow. He called a Nazarene because they were coming back, and where did they send him? To Nazareth. 
and he spoke, there's another prophecy of Jesus Christ fulfilled. What's something else that's so amazing about this to me? How much control did Jesus have over any of this as the man Jesus? He was a baby. He wasn't even conceived when some of this was going on, right? And then he's carried off to Egypt. I don't think at that point he was saying, hey, you know, let's go here. Let's go there. Where where are you going to be born? God was in control of the whole thing so that we could know without a doubt this is the Messiah that they were looking for. This is, this is, the Jews missed it. They were under, remember we talked about the history of the world? That was another part of it. Remember that one of the prophecies is that he's going to be rejected by his own people? Why would they do that? They were under 600 years of oppression. They have really wandered away from good study of the word of God, and they had gotten into the study of rabbinical law. Men were the ones in charge. They were telling people what to do. You ended up with kings like Herod. And they were looking for this deliverer, and they had gotten confused about the deliverer that was to come. And God is so perfect that he even had this orchestrated so that the people would miss his son. We think, wait, that doesn't make sense. But yet it's prophesied of that, isn't it? His people were looking for this mighty king to come in and throw off all this oppressive rule that they'd been under for years. And instead, this peaceful guy that came in and laid down his life was the one that showed up. And they missed him. They killed him. But in doing so, they kept God's plan, didn't they? And now we can be saved. And there's a bunch of prophecies regarding his lineage, whose lineage he comes down. You can look in Luke and Matthew on that one. And then he went to the angels. The, the angels came to the shepherds. And the shepherds are out there, and the angels come out, and they start singing all these songs. Another angel. Not only did angels show up this time, but they're singing to the shepherds. If you look at all this stuff that has to do with the birth of Jesus Christ, just think about real quickly some of the stuff we went over. Angels multiple times appearing to somebody. Prophecies that could not be explained other than the fact that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. All this stuff that goes along... You have to sit back and say, we're in a time right now, we're in a season, that we're celebrating something that was orchestrated by an amazing God. So that, not only us, but all the people that call on his name, everybody that repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. That's what we're celebrating. When you see the Christmas tree, when you see the lights, when you see the people, the songs, stop for a second and think and just be in total, this is what I hope you'll be after this, is you'll just stop and be in total amazement of what God did. This wasn't something, just a baby born in a manger in Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago. This was huge. This was miraculous. And I hope maybe by this study, maybe you'll go home and read it again and look at it. And you will come to appreciate just a little bit more how amazing God is. And what a miraculous and awesome Savior we have. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the way you recorded 
all these intimate details about your son, Jesus Christ. God, you could have very easily just said, I came down to earth, I lived, I died and rose again, and now you can be saved. And that could be your message, Lord, and it would be just as true. But you saw fit to record in your word all these wonderful details that help us to uh, sing in amazement and to praise you. Lord, I pray as we go about our week and we think back, maybe one of these miracles will catch our attention. We'll sit in traffic and think about these angels appearing to shepherds and declaring glory to God. The Savior's been born. We'll think about these prophecies, Lord, that is no way they could have been fulfilled by any other person in the history of the world. We'll think about this miraculous birth of John that, that, that paved the way for Jesus Christ. Maybe if we're aching and feeling old, we'll remember Zacharias and Elizabeth and how you took a, a, an old man and woman who'd been barren and conceived a child in them. And Lord, as a result, we will worship you this week. We praise you, Father. We thank you for being amazing and worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray.